It's great to be with you all again. So it was April of 2014 when I was sitting in a tea shop with a dear friend and mentor, a father in Christ, and I shared with him the good news that I had just proposed to Kristen, who is now my wife, and he was overjoyed for me. And he launched into this unsolicited, impromptu premarital counseling session. And, you know, he, he was given, actually, it was really good stuff. It was better than my actual premarital counseling that I got later. Um, except at one point, he launched into something, he said something offhandedly about stepping into fatherhood. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I just wrapped my head around getting married. Let's do one thing at a time. I'm not ready for fatherhood yet. And he said, Kevin, if you're not ready to be a father, you're not ready to get married. He said, those things go hand in hand, and, and you don't necessarily get to choose the timing of that. That's the Lord's timing. Now, he was a father in Christ, so I didn't push it. I, I, I didn't say anything, but I, I thought in the back of my head, yeah, no, I know. This, this is not going to apply to me for at least three years. Eight months later, I remembered that conversation when my wife and I were looking at disbelief, with disbelief at a positive pregnancy test. And I was suddenly very thankful that I had had that conversation because the turnaround time from disbelief to being able to receive this child with joy was much shorter than it might otherwise have been. See, there, there are certain events that are so important that it's difficult to be properly prepared for them without the help of somebody, without some preparation. And for God's people, the coming of Jesus was one of those moments. The work of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was so different from what anyone expected it to be. His birth was so different. His ministry was so different. The way that he ended up dying on a cross and, and rose again, it was so different than what people expected. And God knew that without help, his people might very well have missed it. If they, if they didn't have people who were pointing to these events and saying, see, this is going to happen. Maybe not, they didn't say it maybe directly, but they pointed to ways in which Jesus would live and Jesus would suffer and Jesus would die. God gave his people the gift of prophecy so that they would be willing, ready to welcome Jesus as king. He sent people like Malachi. We just read from Malachi this morning who points ahead to the Lord coming into his temple. He spoke through people like Isaiah. There's a lot from Isaiah. And he spoke through John the Baptist, who is Jesus's contemporary. These are three prophets just in the readings that we had today who pointed to Jesus. Now, if you grew up in the church, it might seem completely normal to you that I am up here talking about prophets. But can we step back for a moment and consider how weird that is? I mean, imagine, if, I, I don't know what you do for work, but imagine that you're, you're in an office and, and somebody comes in and, uh, and, and sees you reading. They say, hey, what are you reading? And you're like, oh, nothing, just some prophecies. <laughs> they might be concerned about you. Or intrigued, I suppose. But normal people don't talk about prophecy unless they're fans of fantasy fiction or something like that. But, but prophecy has a huge role in the Bible. It's all over. I, I looked up how many times that word, some version of prophecy, prophet, prophesy, 
occurs in scripture 585 times. And that's not including uh, like in Luke 3 where it said the word of God came to John. That's not even including those more uh, oblique references to prophecy. See, the, the, in, the, in the world of the Bible, people took for granted that God could and regularly did speak to people. And so there's kind of a cultural disconnect, right, between our world and the world of the Bible. And so I think sometimes as modern Americans, what we tend to do is we might try to hold intention. Our modern sensitivities, modern sensibilities, rather, and the ancient faith that we believe. And so we end up doing something like this. We might say, prophecy is a real thing. God does speak to people. But then we kind of relegate it to something that happened in the past. Like God spoke to those prophets so that people would know who Jesus was. And now for the last couple thousand years, it hasn't been all that relevant except to to let us know that Jesus is the real deal. And then someday it will be relevant again when he comes back. And then suddenly those prophecies will, will make sense again. And we tend to distance ourselves from God's prophetic work. In this in-between time, we may think that prophecy doesn't have much of a role to play in the life of a modern Christian. I don't think that's true. I think that prophecy is a much more common part, whether we realize it or not, of our Christian experience than many of us are aware of. We're just not used to looking out for it. So that's what I want to talk about today. Let me give you my working definition of prophecy, and I think this is going to help demystify it a little bit. Prophecy is a word from God given to a messenger to prepare God's people. So we're going to break that down. Prophecy is a word from God given to a messenger to prepare God's people. Now, I'm going to be mostly staying, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to be mostly staying in Luke chapter 3, but I'm also going to turn over to Malachi 3 sometimes, so you can keep a finger in, in both places. But first, we're going to talk about how, look at how prophecy is a word from God. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. What makes John a prophet? He has a message from God. He has a word from God. And, And what is the content of that message? We can read on. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's telling people, repent. Stop rebelling against God. Come to him for forgiveness. Elsewhere, it refers to his message saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is coming to reign. So he has this message telling people to repent, to be forgiven. Now, some of us may wonder why this is a prophetic message. It doesn't seem particularly prophetic. It doesn't really predict very much, at least nothing that wasn't already said by by previous prophets. And and this is especially true if we look at some of the stuff he says in the passage we're going to read next week. He he tells people, basically, share your food, share your clothing. He says, tax collectors, don't cheat people. Soldiers, don't abuse your power. It seems like rather mundane stuff. How is it prophecy? Well, if it doesn't sound like prophecy to us, It might be because we've grown accustomed to thinking about prophecy in some very narrow ways. So I grew up in a church tradition where if we talked about prophecy at all, it was 
to refer to specific passages of scripture that made predictions about the future, right? So um, my favorite book was the book of Revelation because I was like, I know the future. I'm reading Revelation. This is amazing. And so I, I, I had prophecy and prediction like as the same thing in my mind. And certainly prophecy does sometimes predict. So if you want to look at Malachi chapter 3, there are some specific prophecies here that, that come true. He refers to the Lord sending, the, he said, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. We later find out that that's John the Baptist. And then he talks about the Lord coming into his temple, fulfilled when Jesus comes into the temple. And then he executes judgment on those who are oppressing others. And you see Jesus executing judgment, turning over the tables of the money changers who are taking advantage of the poor pilgrims coming from outside Jerusalem. So you see, you, you see these events that take place later in Jesus' life. But then there's another sense in which these aren't fully fulfilled here. There's a broader judgment that's coming. He, he talks about... Uh, uh, swift witness against the sorcerers and the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, and those who thrust aside the sojourner. So there's, there's this broader judgment that's referring to the judgment that Jesus is bringing at the end of time. And so prophecy does predict sometimes, but that's not all that it does. And not everything that predicts is prophecy, by the way, right? Google can predict what I'm about to type next in my search bar, but that doesn't mean that, that it's prophecy. Google's not prophetic only because it predicts. So prophecy can include prediction, but it's not only prediction. Others of us may be accustomed to thinking of the prophets in, in some different terms. We might think of them as people who call out sin or people who speak into structural problems, societal sins. We might think of the prophet as someone who goes out and tells people things that they don't want to hear. Prophets are bold. They tell it like it is. Well, prophets certainly do that. John the Baptist ultimately died because he told Herod that his marriage was illegitimate. He, he, told, he, he did call out sin in Herod's life. And, and, and Malachi certainly condemns sin in his society. We just read that passage about the ways in which, which people were being oppressed. He was speaking into the sins of his society. But again, that's not the only thing. Condemnation is not the only thing that prophecy does. It's not just about calling out sin. See, it's not the content or the context of a message that makes it prophecy. It's the source. Prophecy is any message that comes from God through another person. Here are a few places that we might encounter prophecy in our day-to-day -day life. The first one is the obvious one, scripture, right? Whenever we read a passage from the Bible in church, what do we say? What do we say? You can say it. The word of the Lord. We say, thanks be to God. Because we believe that the Lord inspired people to write the things that he wanted them to say for our benefit, right? He, it's the word of, word of God given to a messenger to prepare God's people. So even the parts of the Bible that aren't prophetic books, our prophecy for us. It's, it's God's word specifically for us. And, and because we believe that God continues to speak, we believe the word is living and active. And so God can actually speak into our specific circumstances in his word. And that's what happens in prophecy. God speaks into a specific circumstance. He can also speak through preaching. 
A sermon or a homily is more than just repackaging the contents of Scripture. Part of a preacher's job is to speak the words of Scripture into a particular context. Now, we don't receive a preacher's words in the same way we receive Scripture, right? Scripture has been received by the whole church throughout time and space and is recognized as being directly from God. But to the extent that a preacher faithfully is applying Scripture, is faithfully listening to the Lord for what he wants to say in a given congregation, he or she is participating in prophetic ministry. So every Sunday, you get to hear a prophet. Now, the New Testament also talks about the gift of prophecy. And so there are other places in the church where prophetic work might happen. And I know that you guys believe that here because I was at prayer circle today. And somebody prayed for the prayer ministers, that the Lord would give them sensitivity to listen to the Holy Spirit, that the Lord would give them a word for someone. And they prayed over the reading of God's word that God would use it to speak to people. It's not just that information would transfer, but that somehow God was going to speak to us through his word. Now, this gift of prophecy, if so, anybody could claim to speak for God, right? So again, we don't receive this in the same way that we receive scripture, receive scripture. But Paul does say that we can test prophetic words. And so, for example, God is not going to say, contradict his scripture, right? He's not going to speak to me and, and say, actually, you don't need to obey those passages of scripture that are, that are in there. He's not going to speak that way. And there, we could have a whole sermon about discerning prophecy. That's not my point here, and I, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. This is the point I want you to take away, that sometimes God speaks to us through other people. And they may not even be aware of it. My friend Stephen, that I was having tea with, I don't think, actually, I don't think he still even knows. I should talk to him about this. That I, I, I actually believe that he had a word from the Lord for me that day. Like, months later, I realized I needed to hear that. I don't know where I would have been emotionally and what would have been going on with me if I hadn't gotten that word from him. I think the Lord put that, arranged that conversation so that I could receive that word from him, which was consistent, I believe, with what God teaches. But it was given to him for me, not the word of the Lord, but a word from the Lord for me. So what have I said so far? I've said that prophecy is a word from God. That was our first chunk. And it's given to a messenger. Prophecy always comes through a messenger. God loves to include people in his work. When he created the world, he invited Adam and Eve to be stewards of it, to take care of it. He gave Adam the job of naming the animals. And when he has something to say in the Bible, he often says it through somebody. All over the Bible, you've got people that have messages for other people. So who are the people that God speaks through? Who are these, these, these prophets? Well, consciously or unconsciously, I think we tend to imagine that there is a prophetic type, right? Certain kinds of people who are prophetic. Have you ever taken a spiritual gifts test? It's, it's like one of those, um, it, it, it kind of reminds me of those online personality quizzes, except instead of finding out what Hogwarts house you're in, you find out your top three spiritual gifts. It's wonderful. Um, and uh, I, I was in a, a Bible study or like a small group in college where we were studying spiritual gifts. And I, I, I filled it out, and my top gift ended up being the gift of prophecy, which was baffling because I was at, at a place in my life where I was a little bit skeptical 
of the continuation of the more miraculous gifts. And so I was even more baffled when my second one was healing. And we, it didn't take us long to figure out that I had filled out the test exactly backwards. So I had marked the fives as ones and, and vice versa. Uh, but that didn't stop them from giving me the nickname of the prophet, which they would pull out whenever I said anything that was particularly unenlightened. They'd be like, oh, listen to the prophet. This, this test that I took had a couple of weaknesses besides my own incompetence. But one was that, it, and I don't want to say that these kinds of assessments don't have their place, right? At best, they can help us reflect on the ways that God has worked in our lives in the past. And so I don't want to dismiss them altogether. But this particular one um, focused on prophecy, on this sort of predictive knowledge aspect of prophecy, and made it all about knowledge. Um, I, I wasn't able to find the specific test again, but I remember that about it. And we already said that prophecy is more than prediction. It's more than knowledge. But there's a broader problem with how we use these assessments. Because sometimes we use them as if to say that, that the, the spiritual gifts are like our gifts. They're our talents. They're, they're, that somehow something about the, our personality comes out in these spiritual gifts. But that's not how spiritual gifts work. They're not gifts for us or not gifts produced by us. They're gifts to God's people. They're gifts to the church. They are the Spirit's gifts. That's what we mean when we say spiritual gifts. And God gives them to people as he chooses. And so when we read in Scripture that someone is a prophet, it doesn't mean that they've really honed the skill of prophecy. It just means that God has chosen to speak through them rather consistently. And it probably also tells us that they've been listening for his voice. So it's not like there's a prophetic type. God is not confined to speaking through certain types of people. In fact, he often chooses to speak through people that no one would expect. In the Bible, he speaks through women and men. He speaks through children. One time, he even speaks through an animal, through a donkey. He speaks through Jews and Gentiles. The messenger doesn't have to be all that remarkable. Sometimes, I bet he even speaks through Father Aaron. Probably a lot of times he speaks through Father Aaron. <laughs> now, John the Baptist had a rather unique prophetic role as the forerunner of Christ. So I'm not saying that you might be the next John the Baptist. That's not what I'm implying here. But I am saying that God speaks to ordinary people. And that could, that could be you. And that could be your friend. When you look at John the Baptist, his, his ministry actually isn't all that extraordinary. By, by some standards, he, he, there are no recorded miracles associated with John, unless you count him leaping for joy in utero when he first meets Jesus without seeing him. You might count that, but there, there's no like obvious miracles associated with John. His, his message that we mentioned earlier is fairly mundane. He defies any image we might have of a prophet as some kind of supernatural figure. If John the Baptist were a superhero, he'd be Robin right? No superpowers, and his main job is just to support Batman. Also, they both have unusual outfits. But God didn't choose John because John was particularly awesome. And John recognizes this. He knows it's not about him. He says, Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. He says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Prophecy is not about building the prophet's brand. And so I don't want you to seek the gift of prophecy, to, to seek to speak to people God's words so that you can be some kind of important person. God's not asking you to be Batman. It's not about gaining power or honor for the prophet. Ultimately, prophecy is not a gift 
for the profit at all. It's a gift for the people of God. And that's why Paul encourages the believers in Corinth, for instance, to ask God for the gift of prophecy so that they can edify the church. Did you know that you can do that? You can ask God to give you a word to edify the church. You can do that today. You don't need a theological degree for that. Although it does help to be in the word and to be listening in prayer to his voice. What, all you need is a heart that is open to the work of God's Holy Spirit. Which brings us to our third idea. I said that prophecy is a word from God given to a messenger, but it always has a purpose to prepare God's people. I could have used other verbs. I could have said edify God's people or equip God's people. But prepare, I think, locks in on, 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 on this season, certainly, of, of Advent. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 3. I'm, I'm going to continue on to verse 4. And we're going to see what John the Baptist's prophetic ministry is like. He says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, this is referring to John, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The image here is of something amazing that's coming, the salvation of God. Think about, if you're going to think about it in terms of like kings and kingdoms, this is like the conquering king who's coming to liberate his people. But then there's this image of a road that is not very navigable. You've got big bumps and dips and, and curves. And, and it needs somebody to go. Let's, let's use this as an example. Think about your hometown, wherever that is. Imagine that the president was coming, or maybe your favorite celebrity was coming to your hometown. Except that right down Main Street, you've got like all these potholes and a big pile of dirt, and then part of the road is missing altogether. You better take a look at that. You, you better fix that. You want that to be ready to receive this important person. Or, or maybe a, better, a, a more immediate analogy is, imagine that important person is coming to your house. And behold, the laundry shall be folded. And the children's Legos shall be picked up and put away. And the trash shall be taken outside. Think of John the Baptist as that considerate friend who calls ahead and says, hey, listen, like, you know that celebrity you're always talking about, they're coming, they're like coming by your house. You should wipe the ranch off of your face and trade out of your sweats. We, the purpose of the prophet is not for the sake of, the purpose of John the Baptist, the reason he was sent, it wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't because Jesus needed a smooth road. It was for the sake of us, for the sake of, of, of the people. Because they needed to be ready to receive Jesus. This day, when the day that they met Jesus, had the potential of being either the best day in their life, when they met their king, the savior of the world, or it could be the worst day of their life, where they rejected the one who had come to save them, the one who was the lover of their souls. Sorry, I lost my place here. See, Jesus didn't need smooth sailing. Jesus knew that it was part of the plan for him to die. It was part of the plan for him to be rejected. That he would take our punishment upon himself and rise again victorious. The preparation was there so that when that happened, when he rose again victorious, his disciples would be able to string together 
the prophecies. And he helped them with this. He was walking with some of them on the road to Emmaus. And he helped them understand how all of these prophecies in the Old Testament pointed to him. God loves his people so much that he didn't want to leave them on their own when the day of their salvation came. He wanted them to recognize their king. And that's why he sent John to prepare them. God is always doing this in the Bible, preparing people before he shows up. He warns Joseph that there's going to be a famine in Egypt so that Joseph can act to save Egypt. He speaks through Moses to warn the Egyptians about the plagues. They don't listen. And then he speaks through Moses again to prepare the people to enter the promised land. They don't listen. And then later they do listen. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But God is always seeking to prepare his people for the work that he's about to do. And he's still doing that today. Psalm 95, and this is echoed again in Hebrews, says, today, if you hear his voice, he's still speaking today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God didn't stop speaking 2,000 years ago. He still speaks to us here and now if we are ready to listen. Some of you might find it hard to listen to God. I do. I'm distracted. I've got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things to keep me busy. It's hard to carve out time to to be quiet and to to read scripture and to, to meditate in prayer and to get together with brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can't expect to hear from God if we don't take that time to listen for his voice. He's not going to yell at us over the noise of our headphones. Some of you maybe do have a routine of reading the Bible, but you don't feel like you get much out of it, right? Like you're like, Kevin, I read my Bible every day. Maybe you already know your Bible pretty well. You've even gotten some theological education. So when you come to church on Sunday morning, you don't learn anything new from the sermon. It's okay, you can tell me. I I can take it. (laughs) Many of you didn't learn anything today. I I understand. For a while, I attended a church where I really didn't get much out of the pastor's preaching. I I didn't didn't like his style. I didn't feel like he, like, dug into the text so much that I would, like, learn new things about it. And then I realized that I was asking the wrong question. The question I was asking is, what did I learn today? That's not the purpose of listening to a sermon. It's not to learn stuff. It's great when you do, and I hope you do learn things. I'm sure you do learn things from from Father Aaron's preaching. But the purpose of listening to a sermon is to hear what God has to say to you today. And it might be something you already know. In fact, it's often something you already know but need to act on. Another problem that we have is that sometimes there's so much information flying at us that we get used to filtering out only the things that seem to apply to our context, our present or past experiences. But get this, if part of the purpose of prophecy is to prepare us for God's future work, sometimes he might be giving us the message before we realize we need it. This is where Advent comes in. The anticipation, the vigilance, the watching, the waiting on the Lord. My friend's word about having children didn't seem relevant to me until eight months later. And maybe, maybe for you, maybe when, when you hear a sermon on trusting God in hard times and things are comfortable for you right now, it might feel like that doesn't really apply to you. Or on the flip side, if you're scraping by financially, you might be tempted to skip over the parts of scripture that talk about generosity. 
But if we listen to God's word with expectation, I think we'll often find that God has prophetic words for us that later we'll appreciate, that will prepare us for something that is to come, to follow him, to receive his work in the future. Part of what we try to do as a church in the season of Advent is to cultivate that attitude of expectant waiting on the Lord for him to speak. Advent isn't just a time to prepare for Christmas, though it is that, or a time to remember that Jesus is coming back, though it is that. It's also a time to prepare our hearts to receive his work here and now. It's a time to pay attention to the ways in which God wants to speak to us in his word and in prayer and in the gathering of his saints. It may be that the Lord is drawing your attention to some sin in your life that is getting in the way of your relationship with God. Or or maybe he's calling us into specific works of service or ministry to others. It might be that God is looking to speak through you. Maybe the message that, that he wants to speak is not for you. Maybe it's through you to someone else. And as you're reading scripture, as you're listening to the sermon, whatever it might be, you might, you, you might realize, my, my friend needs to hear this. My spouse needs to hear this. My barista needs to hear this. God has welcomed us into his prophetic work of helping people prepare their hearts to receive him and to encounter him. And we don't have to be Batman to do it. God is ready to speak to us and even through us this Advent. Let's commit ourselves to listen to his voice together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.